Up next on Inside the SECA, the 2023 Super Tour Preview Show. On this episode of Inside the SECA, we're on the eve of the 2023 Hoosier Super Tour, the SECA's premier 20-race series, hundreds of cars and drivers, many trying to get to the national championship runoffs. Joining me today, Eric Prill. How you doing, sir? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, too. Everyone always gives me like, an, like a twisted head when I say 20-race series. It's 10 weekends, but it is 20 races. It is. It is. And when we look at those events and you look at those previews uh, that come out the week before the event, you'll see uh, round one and round two right. of the Hoosier Super Tour. And, and it does. Uh, it even catches me out every once in a while because we think of them as weekends, but they're definitely right. definitely 20 race. Right. So before we get into the uh, the nuts and bolts of this, first of all, congratulations on your national championship. Oh, thank you. Um, well, we haven't had a chance to chat since then. But um, what's it feel like for you going into a season knowing you're not going to vie for a national championship this year? That's got to be weird. Yeah, it, it it's a little weird. It, it You know, I took 2018 off. Well, I didn't take 2018 off. I raced in 2018, but I knew I wasn't going to go to the runoffs that year. And that was after uh, the first Indianapolis. And so I had a little inkling of what that was going to be like. That was the first time in, I think, 14 years that I knew I wasn't going to race the runoffs. But um, this year, you know, I don't have a car um, and I'm definitely not <laughs> going to race at the runoffs. And I don't even, um, I don't even, if I had a car, I wouldn't have a place to put it because uh, I've, I've uh, I moved out of my spot at Jesse's shop um, uh, a couple of weeks ago. So um, I've got some tools in a trailer right now and um, trying to figure out what the next step is there. But yeah. Um, it's a little, it's a little odd, but I never raced in Florida. Um, okay. I, I always was, was kind of eyeing April timeframe, whether it was, uh, went to BIR once, um, always went to Hallett. So, uh, I'm sure that once that rolls around, um, I'll be getting a little stir crazy because I don't have a race car that I'm trying <laughs> to prepare to get to a race, but, um, uh, it's, it's a new, uh, it's a new chapter in life for me. That's for sure. I hear you. I hear you. Well, I, I, I think there's a, a bit of your classmates are going to miss you, but not that much. <laughs> <laughs> well, it you know, my class is 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 a great class of drivers. Uh, really enjoyed being in that class. If I was to ever come back and race, um, uh, you know, I would certainly look at F production. Built a lot of friendships over the years there, sure. a lot of camaraderie. Um, yeah, I mean, the end of that race <laughs> last October was, uh, the elation for me was, was equally, uh, the agony, uh, right. for, for a couple of my buddies there and, uh, uh, felt for them, um, uh, you know, happy for me, but felt badly sure. for them and, and how that shook out for them. But, uh, you well, know, that's, and, that's, and that says that's why we run every lap. Right. <laughs> and that says a lot about the club. I mean, you know, from the time the green flag drops to the checkered flag, we are fierce competitors, but in most cases, we like each other between all the other, all the rest of the time. You know, there's not, there's never nothing going on, no drama, but we, you know, we, we get there, we spend lots of weekends together. Our families get to know each other. 
Um, and most of us like each other. So, you know, except for when the, the advisors push down. So I get that completely. But anyway, congrats. And uh, and I look forward to whatever your next chapter is down the road as far as that goes. Uh, but we have some business at hand. We're uh, we're getting ready. I'm I'm getting on a red eye on Wednesday to head to Sebring. Um, these West these East Coast races, man. If you're on the West Coast, it's a it's a hard hard to get there. But um, but we it's get, hard to get there from the middle of the country. Well, that's true. Not, so I can't imagine. Um, yeah. for you, <laughs> they took away all of our good flights. Oh, tell me a about years it. ago. Tell me about it. So we're on the eve. Um, this will be we will be when this airs on Friday. You and I will both be at Sebring. And uh, we will be getting ready to uh, to do the first two rounds of the Super Tour. Lots of, uh, not lots of changes, but a couple significant changes this year that we want to chat about as we get ready for, um, for you know, this, this big 2023 season. Um, I don't know where to start, so let's start with, I think, one of the things that will just, just change how the things happen at the race, and it leads into something else. Um, and I think it's actually a pretty decent idea. Um, we, you guys went a little out of the box and in looking at the schedule this year and how you wanted to break up the race weekends. And um, that's there's some changes. There's going to be some additional race groups at some races. Tell us a little bit about that thought process and how it's going to affect everybody. Yeah, so when we, when we look at our largest events and uh, we've talked a little bit about the green to checker initiative that was born out of um, looking at these big super tour events and, and uh, green to checker essentially analyzed a lot of data from uh, big events started with VIR super tour last year. Um, and we, we aggregated data from uh, five out of the last six super tours and then the runoffs as well to just really understand um when we were having issues, where we were having them and why, um, and then look at what kind of things we could implement and put in place to, to help alleviate some of that. So one of the things um, was that on these big three-day weekends that have lots of cars, and right. you know, Sebring is one of them, 300 plus cars, you know, 350 cars uh, we would expect for this, is that some of these groups are, are full, some are, you know, couldn't, some of them were, were at the limit, um, fully subscribed, couldn't put another car in the run group. And while our spec classes, where you only have one, uh, one class or spec groups, like spec Miata, spec racer three, right. um, they can probably handle that. They've proven that, that um, for the most part, they can handle that. Where we really see challenges is where we have multi-class groupings. Right. And as well as full fields. So um, we saw a lot of incidents uh, in the, we'll call it the touring group. Um, sure. Uh, that would be T2, T3, T4, STL, STU, and uh, a lot of uh, congestion and, and some incidents in the uh, in the open wheel wing group, uh, well, the wing group, uh, including prototypes. So what we did was on these three-day events, um, we're going to add another run group. Um, so if, if a race had seven run groups last year, we're going to run eight. If a, if a race had eight run groups, we're going to run nine. We can't run nine at every single event. Um, Sebring, for instance, so early in the year, very limited on daylight. Right. Um, uh, Michelin Raceway Road Atlanta, uh, has a, has a quiet time on Sunday that 
that it's really makes it challenging to plan around. So um, yeah. we can't go to nine at those, but um, giving that additional run group uh, alleviates some of that congestion. And, and, and here's the key point, I think, because, you know, if you're in a run group that didn't, that didn't get the benefit of being split up a little bit in one of these, and, and at Sebring, they took the, the uh, touring group and split that up. Um, you know, there were others that, that we could look at as well, but that one traditionally was, was bursting at the seams. Um, when we have incidents, we can delay the entire day. And as you get toward the end of the day, there, you know, unfortunately there is a hard stop, whether it's because of daylight, whether it's because of track rules. Right. Um, and as we get toward the end of the day, if we get so far behind, because we've had incidents that we have to deal with one, the people that were in that run group are, are, you know, disappointed and unhappy because they don't get the track time that they had signed up for. And two, every run group after them could potentially be affected. It could be shortened up. You could have to shorten our sessions. So right. um, track time's already at a premium. We understand that. Uh, so by, uh, by adding one additional group, we think that we'll be able to have more quality time. Um, it, it, we, you know, we couldn't just magically uh, wave a magic wand and, and say, okay, we're just going to create a group. It did come at the cost of something. Um, but as we explained in the piece that came out this, uh, this past week, I guess, right. Uh, the, the, the rule book, the GCR used to require 65 minutes of non-racing track time on these three-day weekends. Um, and typically what that was, was two 20-minute sessions on Friday, which would be a, a practice and then a qualifying and then a 15-minute qualifier on uh, Saturday morning. And then on Sunday, when possible, a 10-minute warm-up period that um, what we learned in looking back through data we learned that less than 20% of, of entries on any given weekend were taking advantage of that. And it was right. typically uh, one lap out and one lap, you know, right. and out and in. Um, really more of a hardship lap as, as sure. you know, we've come to know it as. So what we did was we eliminated the 15-minute session. We made the two 20-minute sessions 25 minutes. So, so we added five minutes to each of those. Um, and we did drop the, the warm-up. But we are now going to have a pretty um, gracious, we'll call it, uh, hardship lap policy, similar to at the runoffs, where if you, um, and it'll be detailed in the subs at every event, right. but you can come and, and present yourself at the grid at any point during the weekend, um, and they'll get you, they'll feed you on at the end of a session so you can get an out and an in uh, if you need to go and check something out. So we feel that um, we've really only, quote, lost five minutes uh, in the schedule. And the reality was that's five minutes that most people were not utilizing. And we found sure. another way to, to achieve what people were doing with that. Sure. So that leads. So, yeah. Okay. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. So, so the other thing about that is, um, those two sessions that we'll have before the first race are both going to be qualifiers. Um, okay. and the second session, uh, not, we won't be able to get all of the run groups in for their second session on Friday. It will bleed into Saturday. Right, morning, right. I saw it over into Saturday morning, and that's just that's just because there's only so much time in the day, and we've got 25 minute sessions now. Right. So that was the way we were able to accomplish adding um, one additional run group, uh, and and I think ultimately for the drivers, um, it, you know, I don't, I just don't know that people are going to feel that 
loss of five minutes. And the reality is a lot of times we were having to cut five minutes out of sessions right. at some point during the weekend because, uh, because we were getting behind and what we don't want to do. We don't want to cut race time out. Sure. Um, sure. Certainly. So that brings us to an initiative that you and I sat here and talked about last May, maybe when did green, the checker launch? Yeah, it was, it was, it was after uh, late, late April, early May. It was, it was after, uh, BIR. After, that's right. Um, right. Yep. Um, and we talked about what the idea was and, and, and some data that you were working on and you had had a small data set that you were, you were looking at and how to come up with ways to keep these classes, these, these races green and qualifying sessions, uh, as much as possible. And, um, and this idea that we need to be a little more respectful on the racetrack and all this kind of stuff. Um, and one of the things we talked about at that point in time was that we were going to come back and revisit this when you had had bigger data to look at. Um, now you've got another couple of what, four or five races plus you've got the runoff. So you've got a, a bigger data set. Um, since our discussion originally to today, what have you learned from a, the data and what have you seen anecdotally from the respectfulness of the people who throw on the helmet before they get into these race cars? Well, the good news, you know, I think if we look back and what was the impetus of this, it, it wasn't that VIR Hoosier Super Tour of 2022 was the impetus. It no. was it was something that we had been discussing and looking at um, for quite a while. Not just not just the folks in the office, but you know people in the paddock. Sure, um, we talked to a number of people about it, concerns and and you know what really is the problem and how do we address it. So the good news I will say is that we started the first data set we had was from VIR. Um, and that event, 45% of the sessions that we ran that weekend went green to checker, less than half, right. um, had to be stopped for one reason or another. Um, at, at the same racetrack with almost 100 more cars um, in October for the runoffs, we ran uh, two-thirds of our sessions went green to checker. Right. And if you'll recall, we had a hurricane. <laughs> I, I got to tell you, I, I don't know if you and I had a chance to talk about this, but we were in a, at that point it was a tropical storm, but um, on Friday, we went during just horrifying racing conditions, we went two and a half races before our first full course yellow. I was sh shocked, not necessarily because of green to checker or anything else, but the conditions were just batshit crazy. And these drivers were so on top of their game, so smart, so calculated in how they did it. And, and these are classes that were some of the offending classes that kind of pushed Green to Checker to start. So I was like, this is crazy. And it's in a, in a great way. Yeah. Um, I, I think it really showcased how good our racers are and how good they can be on the racetrack mm -hmm. if if um, uh, if they if they think about it that way right. you know i think that for, first and foremost when you're racing in the rain um you know keep it on the track first and foremost so so you're you are a little bit more cautious you know you're not pushing 
I'm not saying you're not pushing 10 tenths, but you may not be pushing 10 tenths in a wheel to wheel scenario because it's so easy for the car to slip and to touch somebody else at that point. T- 10 tenths in the rain. There's a 10 tenths in the rain and a 10 tenths in the dry. Yeah. And they're different things. It's, they sure are. Yeah, they sure are. So, no, I was I was super impressed. Really happy. Um, we also uh, got a really nice assist from the VIR staff. Um with regard to uh, cleanup of sessions, um, what what they, you know, some things that they were willing to do at the runoffs because we changed some of our policies and procedures. And this was all part of the learning process uh, last year. They had some new policies. Uh, they did a great job at the runoffs uh, to help and support the Green to Checker initiative. So, so I was really pleased with that. We, we had, uh, throughout the year, we kind of had a, a mixed bag of of percentages at events for green to checker um all of them were were over 60 percent uh road america for instance 83 percent of the sessions were green to checker um you know why does that happen they had a they had a ton of toes there well you know they they have a different approach to dealing with cars that get stopped on course and and um, and the track lends itself to being able to go and yeah and kind of hook up and, and pull them off and get them off the track really quickly so it helps to have four um, miles where cars can mi- be spread out a little bit more four miles and and uh, exit a lot of exit points right. around the track um to to hide cars and, sure. and things like that so you don't have to slow the session down but um, does it also so, does it also also have something to do with the tracks that are for lack of a better term privately owned versus the tracks that are owned by the NASCAR entities who have different rules that you guys have to play by? No, I don't, I don't think it comes down to that because each, each track has its own um, philosophy on, on what they want to do. Um, each track has an insurance carrier. Each track has, you know, certain local laws and regulations sure. that they have to abide by. And, um, I, I wouldn't say that it has anything to do with um, any conglomerate, you know, ownership groups or anything like that. Um, but uh, it, it it was refreshing to see, uh, to talk to some of the tracks and to talk to them about this initiative and, and what was important to us and how we were approaching the driving community and our officiating and our, and our race organization, but that there was also a role in it for them as well. And um, like when I, when I presented what we were doing to VIR, um, to the track president and the, the head of emergency services, um, they they were excited about it. They were like, "No, we love this. You know, this is this is something that every organization should be uh, taking a look at." And and we're excited that you guys are doing it, and we want to and we want to do whatever we can to be a part of the solution. So sure. um, that's a really refreshing response to get from any racetrack, right? Because I always remind people, because because you know. There's different response times, different protocols from track to track to track. And, you know, I think people don't understand always that the SECA is renting a track and playing by a track's set of rules from track to track to track. And what we can do at Buttonwillow, because the track's essentially SECA owned, and what we can do at Sebring aren't the same thing necessarily. Um, and but, but everybody thinks, well, it's an SECA race. It should all be run the same way. Well, it's not possible to do that. Um, and, and to have that discussion, just so people understand that there are different things I think is helpful when you get kind of frustrated by, well, this track is not working the way I'd like it to work because it should work like this track. 
Yeah. And, and that's also part of the relationship between whoever's putting the race on and the racetrack. And uh, you, you have to remember that racetracks nowadays, the majority of the time that they're open and they have cars on the track, it is private rentals, it's track days, it's, it's uh, experience, you know, whether they have a membership. Um, so they're like member days that are out there and the track itself is operating sessions. Right. So, so if a track uh, has a hundred days and, you know, I, I realize most tracks are, are, they have cars on course 250 days out of the year, but if it's a hundred days, I bet 75 of them, the track itself is operating. Right. Like they're deciding when the session starts, when it stops. Um, it's their, it's their flaggers. It's, you know, it's their paid employees right. are flagging. It's their paid employees are the safety teams. So when SCCA comes in or IMSA comes in or SRO or anybody that comes in with a full team to run race control um, and needs to integrate with their safety team, there's a learning situation sure. there because the track has been doing it a, a certain way 75, 80% of the time throughout the year. And it's just that that um, education and, and communication so that they understand um, we do, you, you know, we do operate our sessions and we need to work with you to make sure that they right. operate correctly. So, so just another, just another thing, kind of shift gears on the green to check. Sure. Um, we really wanted to understand if we had, you know, one, what the issues were, were two, where were they coming from? Not just classes, but what's the background of the drivers? Um, so, you know, we logged every single incident that came in that was reported in on, um, on the, on the network. And, you know, for, for the runoffs, for instance, we had 494 cars participate at that event. We had 690 calls come in throughout the week that we logged and we, and we looked at, you know, what class was it, who was it, um, what was the circumstance? Um, and then we took that one step further and, to understand who our racers are, we looked at age groups. We looked at um, the number of years they had held a license, just to just to get into the nitty gritty of um, because I because I've had people say, oh well, it's it's young drivers, oh, oh it's it's old drivers, it's, or it's you know, because we don't are, do driver schools anymore. Yeah, or it's it's um, or as many. So, so we've got some really telling information and I know we want to talk more about super tour here and I'm going to have a session at the convention. Um, I'll plug the convention right now, uh, later in January where I'm going to get into some more of these details and this data, um, which is pretty fascinating. Some of it is, um, some of it is, wow, I, I wouldn't have realized that. And, but a lot of it is, okay, this confirms what I maybe would have thought, but now we have information that actually validates it. Right. And it's not just a, it's not just a hunch anymore. So um, it, it will, it, it, it leads us to make some, um, some changes to the way we structure events. Um, we're going to bring a coach along. Yeah. Uh, to super tours. Uh, if you had asked me two years ago or even a year ago, um, should we have a coach at these? I would have said, no, these the super tours is the best of the best. Um, why do we need a coach? Um, and I think what we realized, and in, and in uh, my experience with developing our Enduro product and 
learning more about how time trials works and and uh, the track event things, Track Night America, it it's not so much that people need to learn how to drive at the event. It's it's sometimes they just need somebody to bounce something off of that they're struggling with at an event. Right. And you're not going to probably go to a steward and ask them about that. And what we've got now is we we've brought this coach role in and that's somebody who one uh, stewards or race control can identify, Hey, so-and-so has, has been off the track three times in this session. Um, he hasn't hit anything. He hasn't hit anybody else. Um, but, but, you know, maybe somebody who's a driver and is not a steward, not an official, right. uh, can go and, and just have a conversation, make sure they're okay, find out what's going on. You know, maybe they've never been to the racetrack and they're really struggling with a certain part of the track, or maybe they're, maybe something's up with their car and they can't quite figure it out. Um, and, and let's just go have somebody who can, who can be a, a helping hand almost go and talk to them and, and see if they can work it out. And, and so that it doesn't become a problem so that it doesn't become a situation where it affects somebody else. Right. Um, or, they've got to go and talk to a steward. Right. Um, you know, let's, let's try and nip some of this stuff in the bud because, and that's what they've learned in the, in the time trials world. Um, they've got coaches for their, for their run groups. And, um, and it's a, it's a really tight knit community within those run groups. Uh, I think there's a lot of value in that and because everybody's out there together. Ultimately, when you look at it on a grand scale, the number one goal should be for everybody to complete that session, everybody drives their cars in. Yeah. Um, nobody's coming in on a hook. We can all drive our cars into the trailer at the end of the weekend. And that takes a group effort. It's a team. Everybody right. in that run group is a team kind of looking out for each other and, and each other's equipment. I, I uh, announced for a vintage organization out here. And uh, their driver's instructors are on the clock at every race, whether it's the, the, the school or the 12th race of the season. And every driver who has any kind of significant off and on gets a visit from the instructor. It's a short conversation usually, um, but it's, Hey, what's going on? You know, t- talk to me about what happened. And it doesn't matter if that driver has been racing with this series for 20 years or if this is their first race. Um, and it's not judgmental. It's, and it's a process and they take notes. They have a card for every driver and they can kind of track who needs a little extra mentoring. And, and I think it's something kind of along the lines of what you're thinking about here. Yeah. And, w- and one of the things that we've noticed um, in the data that the Dana has, has shown out is, and this could, shouldn't come as a surprise, people that have had their license for three or fewer years are having more incidents than, than the other uh, lo- group's level of experience. Sure. Um, so knowing that, and knowing that, um, knowing also who makes that group up, um, both as individuals, uh, also as age groups, it's not all the young kids. I was just going to say, uh, you can be 50 years old and have three years or less experience racing cars. The, the largest percentage of people that have had their license for less than five years is 50 to 59. Right. And wow. and it makes sense, right? Because, yeah, because we've got money now. People, you know, they're uh, maybe kids are out of the house. They've got some money. Yep. They've got some extra time on their hands. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's it's young people and people in their fifties. So, uh, 
so now that we understand who those groups are, we we also now understand who uh, the coach may be um, paying a little bit more attention to. Because sure. um, it is, it, there's a lot going on. There's 350 cars at Sebring. Yeah. Um, and we have, we're going to have one official coach. We're going to have a few unofficial coaches. I may, I may need to be drafted in to go play coach at some mm-hmm. time, at some points. Um, but it really, you know, and I hope that everybody that's participating in, in Super Tour events this year, if a coach comes over to you, you're not in trouble. It's it, it's really designed um, to potentially keep you uh, out of trouble. Out, right. Keep you out of trouble. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's it's your buddy. It's the voice of reason. It's it's yeah. um, it's somebody who who can who can potentially help you out and, uh, and keep you out of a sticky situation. Cool. Cool. Um. So I let's not dig into the data then. Let's I don't want to steal your thunder from the convention. We'll we'll definitely make sure that we watch that and talk about that. A um, couple of other things that are going to be new um, this year, and this is one that's really interesting to me because it came from the drivers in the class. Um, a limit in the number of tires that can be used in Spec Miata this year. I've been following this intimately, so I know how it came about, but tell us from your standpoint how this evolved into what we're going to do this year. So this came about exactly the way things like this should come about. Absolutely. The racers in the class, um, uh, you know, uh, certain leaders within that community. And, you know, uh, it wasn't just Jim Drago, but Jim, Jim is probably the um, loudest maybe the, maybe the poster child of, of the tire limiting program. Right. So kudos to him. Um, and he, you know, and he's obviously a leader in that community for so many years. Um, they felt that in order, there was the perception that in order to run at the front, you had to have multiple sets of new tires every, every weekend. And the idea of a spec tire or a spec class is that trying to limit how much people can win by just throwing money at it. Right. And uh, so there were a few events last year where they had, quote, a racer's agreement where uh, everybody would only run one set of tires. They came up with uh, some process to mark them. Um, of course, it was uh, because it was a, a racer's agreement and not a rule. Um you know, there didn't have to be a lot of tech involved in it and everything. It's sure. just, um, you know, more that handshake kind of agreement. Uh, that has grown into a program where at three events this year, uh, there will be a limit, a tire limit, one set of tires for spec Mianas, um, for, for each weekend, that'll be Sebring, VIR and, and Road America. Um, so we've got a process in place with our tech team, um, to mark tires after the first qualifying session, after the first session on Friday. And uh, they've got to run those tires the rest of the weekend. And it, it's, um, there is some tire management that comes into, into play. There's some tire um, bed in process that uh, some people are going to be doing that maybe they haven't been doing when they've just been throwing stickers on and, and, sure. and you know, tearing out of the pit lane with stickers on and instead of doing what Hoosier recommends, which is to slowly bring them up when they're a brand new tire to get the mold release off and, and um, get that first heat cycle in. So um, it will be interesting. I, I think it's great because it, you know, ultimately if you can save people money um, in any way, 
that's a good thing. Um, there are some probably details that we'll find at this first event that maybe we'll have to tweak at the next event that we mm -hmm. do it. Um, but, uh, you know, once again, kudos to the community for, uh, you know, it's their class and they, they, they came up with a plan a suggestion. They took it to the Specniata advisory committee. Those guys worked, worked it out. They, you know, talked to our tech guys in the office quite a bit, you know, how can we actually implement this? How can we, um, because it's a lot of cars and it's it's a frantic 20 minute period that you get them an impound after that first qualifying session. Right. So um, and and, you know, we talked about a number of things, barcodes on tires uh, still could be something that could work down the road. Um, uh, you know, that involves maintaining databases to see who has what tire. Um, we're going kind of a, a, a little bit cruder. Um, we're going to have special stamp at each of these events and then mark the, the car number that the tire belongs to. Sure. Um, but, uh, but yeah, uh, neat deal. Um, I think it's, uh, I think the fact that we've got over 80 cars entered at Sebring, um, I don't know if the tire limiting has anything to do with that, mm. but, uh, uh, maybe it does. Uh, it's always a big field there anyway. Can you see this looking into your crystal ball? Um, <laughs> and I'm sure your tech guys are, are going to like, shut up, Ryan. Um, can you see this type of program expanding into, at the very least, some of the other spec classes? So it already exists. Okay. Um, Continental has a rule. Formula Continental has a rule. Um, it could. I'm thinking um, FE2S, Spec Racer Ford. I, I, unfortunately, I don't know off the top of my head if FE2 has it. Spec Racer Ford does not. It does not. Yeah, I know um, that. I have, I have heard anecdotally, and I actually, um, I hope at some point to be able to drive a spec racer for it, um, uh, maybe even this year, but, uh, I've heard anecdotally that the tires that on that car, that that tire on that car actually, um, goes many, 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 many heat cycles. It's oh, still yeah. competitive. Yep. Um, so, but yeah, I mean, obviously if, uh, what works for one class uh, could potentially work for another class. And, uh, you know, but, it, but ultimately it comes down to the class and the, and the participants within it. If that's what they want. The spec has a spec tire, you know, if that's what they want. Um, but again, you know, those cars are different animals, right? Um, you know, they don't, you know, those B spec cars, I don't think they wear the rear tires out on them. You know, I think that right. they can run those week after week after week. Um, because the rears aren't doing a whole lot, the well, fronts and, are doing all the work. And even in the spec Miata, in the, in the way this is done, doesn't mean that you can't use that same tire for two weekends. You might not want to from a competitive standpoint, but the rule doesn't state that you have to use a new tire at the start of every weekend. It just That's says correct. you have to use the same tire for every weekend, uh, throughout the whole weekend. Um, so there's nothing to preclude you using a second you know the same tire for a second or a third weekend absolutely if that's what your budget is or if absolutely. you don't find a competitive disadvantage by doing that yeah the number of people that this affects for not buying multiple sets of tires i mean we're probably only we're we're talking about the very top end of the field right i would i would say um in talking to hoosier that you know just estimates of you know how many um because obviously there's there's a consideration with Hoosier, the, the 
tire partner with Spec Miata. <laughs> they want to they want to have people buying new sets of tires for three, well, three times a weekend, right? They do, but they also know that their tire is is a durable enough tire if used um, properly. Properly, and I'm not saying that people have been using them improperly. Right. It's just that there there wasn't a, a a need to do certain things with the tires, and and uh, I think we'll see people doing those things with the tires. And and it was you know interesting with the with the uh, racers agreement last year. Um, you know we were still seeing track records set right. on well, in the second race. I want to get Jim on to talk about this whole process at some point in time. Um, But I I think what they finally probably realized was that when they were looking at their own data points, that they weren't really gaining a whole lot by putting on a new set each each session. Um, Because if there was, I, I think that it probably wasn't that much in the end that they were losing out from a competitive standpoint. Yeah. So could be. Yeah. Interesting. Um, all right, so let's get to the last point I have on my list, and then we'll circle back to see if there's anything else you want to talk about. Um, we we announced it, well, it was announced back in November that we were going to have a live stream with multiple cameras, something that the club members have been have been asking for for a long time. If anybody's on the Facebook pages and, and has been following all of that, and, and you know, uh, the, the club has responded and, and decided to take that step to go to a live stream. Um, Greg Ginsburg and myself are going to be most of the time on the race calls for these things. Um, and we're real excited. And and I'm guessing you are too, to have this for the club members and probably wish you would have had it last year when you were racing. Oh yeah. Yeah. No question. And and it was something that we, that we started to try and put together for last year and, and we just ran out of time. So we got a much earlier jump on, um, on the, on the, uh, process this year. Um, Big shout out to uh, Dan Dennehy Rodriguez, who is our, our, our partner relations manager, who stepped in and, and helped foster this thing along. Um, and uh, yeah, we couldn't be more excited to work with Driver's Eye guys. Um, they've got a, a really good system in place. It's it's so elegantly simple uh, on the surface. Uh, I know that, the, and, you know, and like, not that, elegantly like, simple on the back end. Like, like, like anything, you know, it, it, it looks, it looks so simple uh, on the top of the water and, and that, you know, those, those uh, duck feet are paddling, you know, for their life underneath the water, but uh, uh, really excited about it. They did a test, they ran a test at Homestead last week. Um, so uh, I think we're going to be able to really hit the, hit the ground running at Sebring. Uh, excited about it. Excited to have you and Greg be a part of it. Um, but more importantly, um, just taking you know what we've what we started with the super tour seven years ago with with the radio broadcasts and and take that to the next level right. um, and give people the uh, the sight to go along with the sounds of what's going on at the event both both for people that are that are uh, present at the event and people that couldn't make it out yeah yeah and it, I, we've been working on this my team here out on the west coast I know Greg does a version of this up in the Mars series. And to be honest with you, from the moment the kind of momentum started going where the club was asking for this, and this is, goes back even two or three years, um, the technology and the knowledge to do it in a way that looks what, uh, the, at a level that the club, um, you know, professional enough level that the club can be proud of the, the video product. Um, the technology and the systems really have evolved a lot in the last two or three years 
um, to, to the point where now it can be done at a reasonable price point. Um, you know, it's not going to look like the runoffs broadcast. That's a way different price point. Um, but it's going to be something that will give a good following of the race weekend of each race um, at a price point that the tour, the super tour and, and SCCA can afford to do every weekend. And, you know, it's I, I, I give I give a lot of credit to the club for not jumping into it haphazardly um, because it would have been a product that everyone would have not been happy with. And now everything has kind of come together at this moment in time where it can be done for a price that can be afforded and the product will be decent, much beyond decent, in my opinion. Um, but I but I, but it'll be there. And now I think is the right time to do this. So um, and I'm not just saying that because I'm involved with it. Even if I wasn't chosen, I, I understand the technology enough to know that we're at a time in the world. And a lot of that technology has to do with the fact that there are better cell phone services at all these racetracks now than there were even three or four or five years ago. And that's a big part of the system. Um, you know, 5G is here and all of that, which this is kind of getting a little bit into how the sausage is made. Um, but all of those things have come together to make it to the point where we can do it now. So, um, yeah. And, and, and I just want to, you know, we've, it, the, 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 the video product has been frustrating for us. Um, there's no question. It's been frustrating for our participants. They've wanted more. Um, we've wanted to do more. What we initially started back, and this was back when the majors was, was first right. um, created back in 2013. Um, we wanted, it, it was never really intended to be a produced video product. Uh, the idea was we were going to set some static cameras up that could be like, if you were at the event and went and sat on that hill mm -hmm. and sat at that corner, and this was what you could see, um, it was never really designed to be used similar to how people watch races, uh, live streamed races. Um, of course, when you have other series that are that are doing different things, and then you have the runoffs, which is a a professionally done um, stream. I mean, a broadcast full broadcast quality. So we wanted to try and figure out how we could get to the, to a point where it was something that people could watch right. within our, within our budget, because the reality is, and we had people talking to us about, you know, well, X, Y, and Z does it. Well, why can't you guys do that? Well, the reality is X, Y, and Z did it that way for, uh, for one season. And then they were like, Holy smokes, this costs a lot of money. Yep. Um, and, and, you know, we, one, you know, in, in order to generate more partner dollars to help pay for some of this stuff, you actually have to have the product to show them. Right. Um, so, so I think that there's some great opportunities with what we're doing now, um, getting more people involved that want to put their name on this, that want to follow uh, what we're doing with the Hoosier Super Tour as a series. Right. Um, but to your point, to get into something haphazard that wasn't quite fully baked and, and you know, fully acknowledging that what we were doing was really, um, you know, it was just, it was unreliable and it, and right. it wasn't great. And right. it was, it was a source of frustration every weekend for us. Um, but now we finally, I think we finally got something that, um, that everybody will be proud of. Right. Um, and, you know, looking forward to, 
to what people think about it this weekend. Well, and I think that this is one of those situations where, as I've learned with the podcast, it's if you build it, they will come. You know, we're going to provide this now and it's, you know, people will get excited about it. Some partners, I think, will get excited about it and want to join in. And maybe that will help us expand it in the future um, to be something bigger than it is right now. Although I think people are going to be really impressed with what they're going to see right out of the gate. Um, I, I think there's there'll be some really happy, smiley people here, which is what I'm going for. Um, and Brendan is amazing. The driver's eye, um, uh, owner who's help, who's doing the video portion of this. Um, his team's got, got this stuff locked down really well. Um, I, um, I learned that from our, our dress rehearsal that we did at Homestead. Um, but, uh, but I think, you know, there's, there's opportunities for this to be a growth, um, moment for the club as well. And I think that's just going to come down the road. I do want to mention how people can get involved real quick before we go, um, because a lot of the broadcast is live stream. I'm a I'm a TV guy, so I always call it a broadcast. A lot of the live stream is is dependent is is that you're going to hear this year is a lot of storytelling as us telling the stories of these drivers and the teams and what they're out there. But to be able to tell those stories, um, Greg and I need to know what the stories are. So um, anybody who wants to give us information about your team, about your career, so we can put it in our database, um, supertouranouncers at gmail.com. Send us an email with whatever you've got. Um, we're going to keep it from race to race so we don't have to ask you every time. If something new pops up, send us a new email. We'll throw it in the database so we have stuff to talk about. Um, if you have a story that you want us to talk about, that's great. Also, give us that. Um, we're going to have opportunities to do um, in-car cameras. Um, if you're at the racetrack, find Brendan and talk to him about that as to how you can get involved with that. Um, and uh, th that's going to be uh, some opportunities. And that's a great opportunity for a team to, to show their sponsors. Um, if you have an in-car camera, you put the little placard up in the windshield that says, you know, car number and, you know, Bob's Muffler Shop is my sponsor. And every time it pops up, you'll see that. Um, and, and we can help you with showing you opportunities of how to do that. Um, uh, so there's, there's opportunities there. Um, and, and the other thing that Greg and I are doing, which, uh, we're splitting up the race groups, um, so that one of us is the play by play person for this race. And the other is the color commentator for the race. And we're going to keep it consistent throughout the year so that, um, you know, I will be the color commentator for all of the wings and things races. So I will be learning these drivers, learning these stories, race to race to race, so I can continue the storyline through. Um, uh, and 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 Greg's got his group of, of races that he's doing that for. So you'll have more of a traditional TV broadcast as far as that goes. And um, and it's also interesting, you know, I'm taking Spec Racer Ford because I used to drive a sports Renault back in the day. So I have a little knowledge of that class. Greg's doing the, the touring classes because that's what Greg drove. I've got Formula V because I drove a little Formula V. So it's like there's a little background there as well. Um, and so we have a little passion about those particular classes, not that we don't have passion for all the classes. Um, so we're really trying to craft a, uh, a live stream that is as much about the video as about the stories that we're able to tell. And because stories are what what people come back and listen, you know, come back and, and, and want to hear about. So um, we really look forward to that. You know, we look forward to evolving the live stream from Sebring to Road America. And um, it's going to be fun. Eric, I can't wait. Yeah, no, it's it's super exciting. And it's going to be a great way to kick, 
kick the season off. I'm glad that uh, you guys are both going to be there. The other wonderful thing about this technology um, that really, I, I think people would be amazed to hear the races that they watch on television, how many of the announced teams are not sitting in the same room together and the opportunity to potentially uh, be able to call some of these things remotely and, and, and really um, have that not, have that not uh, negatively impact the broadcast. Yeah, it, it, it's exactly right. And it wasn't just a COVID thing. People say, well, people did remote broadcasts because of COVID. Um, for 10 years, when you would watch a Formula One broadcast on speed with Steve Matchett and and Lee Diffie and Hobby, they were never, except for the U.S. race, they were never on site. That Those were always 100% remote broadcast. So we're not recreating the wheel as far as that goes. That's been done for a long time. And, uh, and and it's true when after Sebring, only one of us will be on site. The other one will be remote. Um, and it's also going to be an opportunity. We're going to bring in some other people on a session here or a session there. Maybe a driver for who is an expert in that class can join us remotely as well. So we've got some ideas. We're not exactly sure how it's going to all play out in the end. Um, but there's going to be opportunities for people to get involved with the broadcast on the announce side as well. Um, and uh, we just need to manage it so 12 people don't show up in the broadcast booth for the same race wanting to talk. Because, <laughs> you know, we still need to tell the story of each race um, as it's unfolding. But, yeah, there's a lot of stuff that we're going to be able to do here. And what was the email again? It's uh, super tour rate uh, announcers, super tour announcers, all one word at gmail.com. And we'll put that in the show notes. so You can just click on it and go. So any other super tour stuff you want to touch on before we head out? No, I think it's time to uh, to to flip on the YouTube and the and the uh, and the Facebook feed and watch and watch and listen. There's one other thing with the stream. Um, while it's a live stream, once it's no longer a live stream, it will be on YouTube forever. So when you get home from the racetrack, you can you know send out the link on Facebook to your friends and say you know skip along to 55 minutes in, and that's where my race is. You know, or strip along to fifty, you know, seventy-four minutes in, and that's where I may have spun my car. Whatever the case may be, um, and that also gives value to uh, teams sponsors. You know, when you can tell them, you know, hey, this is where your sponsor dollars are going. We've not been able to show that to people anymore. You know, there's a lot of layers to this onion that I think are are un uh, unrealized at the moment that will be realized as we go forward. So, good stuff. All right. I, I would say I'll see you in a couple of days, but when this airs, we will have seen each other. So uh, <laughs> I'll see you in a few minutes. <laughs> I'll see you in a few minutes. I'll look to my right and you'll be standing there in the booth next to me. So, all right. I appreciate it. Thank you, Brian. All right. That's going to do it for another episode of Inside the SCCA. Take off my glasses so I can read. I'm old. I have to take off my glasses to read. If you like what you're hearing, subscribe to the Racing Wire Podcast Network so you won't miss an episode. It would also be great if you left a comment, especially if it's a good one. You can follow us in social media, find out who our guest next guest is going to be, leave questions on Twitter. It's Racing Wire Net. A new inside the SCCA every Friday. I'm Brian Belansky. Have a fantastic weekend. Stay safe and go play with cars. Hi, I'm Kelton Jago, and this is Inside the SCCA.
Inside the SCCA is a presentation of the Racing Wire Podcast Network and Rural 15 Productions. This podcast is not affiliated with, endorsed, or sponsored by the Sports Car Club of America. The views expressed within are those of the host and our guests and not that of the SCCA.